prepare for trouble. Make it double. We're going to fly over polar bears and see them and look at them and be with the polar bears. Yes. <laughs> no, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Everyone wants some magical solution for their problem, and everyone refuses to believe in magic. Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades, hosted by Hope Molnax, talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010. Frighten people. Give me a Dalek any day. everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope of All Trades. My name is Hope Molinax, and welcome to the new year! Yay! Happy New Year! We did it! 2015! Anyway, so today, um, I'm having my friend Chris Honeywell on. Say hello, Chris. Hello! And that's enough. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm that's kidding. That's all I got. <laughs> no, but the idea of what we're doing today is kind of a shoot-the-shit episode, mainly because we, we did a fun episode, God, like, what was it, like, two years ago? Yeah, it was almost two years ago, and we were, it was sort of, we were sort of doing it to pick on Shag and Scott, because they did a show where Shag and Scott talk about almost everything, and so then we did one, too. I thought ours was better. Ours had yeah. magic mic in it. Something that we'd like to do is just sort of chat about whatever you want, because sometimes this is just, just as much fun, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I can't remember the last... When was the last... Was that the last time I, like, talked to you? Like, like what, voices talking? Yeah, like, I think voices talking, because, like, we've talked from uh, about IMs other things, and stuff. so... Yeah. Oh my gosh, I miss talking to you! <laughs> and it's funny, and, and you know what Hope and Chris talk about in IM? Pets. What? <laughs> Animals. <laughs> <laughs> we talk so much about our cats, it's not even funny. It starts out as podcast business, and then it's like cats and dogs and ferrets and budgies. And, and, yes, I found out what a budgie was. <laughs> I didn't know. They're the cute birds that make the R2-D2 sounds, like the bloop, bloop, bloop I, sounds. Uh, no, honestly, I always thought budgie was just the British slang for like a parakeet or any like domestic bird. So I always, I used to call my cat Dr. Strange Budgie because he would sit, <laughs> he would perch on my shoulders like a parrot, you know, like a pirate's parrot. It was, the only reason I found out a budgie is like a certain kind of bird is I saw the video of the budgie that had memorized R2, all the R2-D2 sounds and would just regurgitate them. And I was just like, you know what? I want one of those. <laughs> I don't know. The thing about birds... Birds are really pretty, but, like, up close, they're always gross to me, and I just, mm. I don't mind, like, petting them, and then just, like, let them, them, them go, and they're pretty outside, and, like, my friends have had birds, but me, myself, like, I could, like, just never have a bird. They go, but I've had friends who've had birds that were really, I mean, when I was a kid, everybody would have birds in cages, and you couldn't pet the bird. The bird would peck at you or whatever. It was not a happy bird, but I think people have learned in the last 20 or 30 years that you can just you birds will are affectionate you can if you have a bird that's young and you raise it and pet it they'll they'll climb up your leg and have you pet their their neck like a cat and yeah i had one of my best friends had a bird and she like this little bird like you could put it on your finger and then like move it up and put it on your shoulder and it would just chill on your shoulder like for hours. in there yeah I've seen parrots that, you know, that you, you, you would pet them and the, the, you know how cats will lean into it when you're scratching it. You know, they, they, lo they love it. And uh, but on the opposite side, birds can also get 
Birds are also, I don't want to say not too bright, but I guess they can get neurotic and weird also. So you could you could end up with a pet that's a real hassle too, you know, that's plucking its feathers off and, and stuff like that. So it's, I don't, I, I want a budgie, but I don't think I would get one because I'm not a, I, you'd have to be a bird person to really, I'm, I like if I had hamsters, I'm the kind of pet person that I want my pet to be as loose and free as, as it possibly can be. A bird would not be, it, it would not be good to have a bird flying around in my house. <laughs> yeah, my, well, my cats hunt Well, birds. you have cats, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds one. like your one cat's a bruiser. Oh, man, Carmilla, she is a fighter, man. She, and the thing is, is, she's the smallest and the leanest of all the cats. Like, she's tiny compared to the other mm -hmm. two. But she's the queen cat. And it, it happened, like, we at one point we had four cats and a pug. And the pug might as well be a cat. Yeah. And Princess at the time was queen of the roost. But she, she died about, oh, gosh, like, maybe about a year ago. And so ever since then, my cats have been in this, like, transition period trying to figure out who's going to be top cat. She she has won the fight. She terrorizes the other two, and she will like hunt them and stalk them. Like we have a thing now, we won't let them outside at night. And she gets so bored at night that she'll like sit outside the litter boxes and just wait for them. <laughs> yeah, because she was probably out at night, well, kicking all the other cats' asses in the neighborhood. Yeah, terrorizing like, them. There's been so many. Like in the last year, we've taken her to the vet three times from fights she is a brawler and now she has a janky ass ear so i started calling her janks so she's probably got a rival out there there's probably some big bruiser cat that that, that probably it's... both of those happened with some she's got an enemy you know we we well we call him omni for um because he's a little black cat that lives in the neighborhood and we don't actually know his name we think he's just straight but we call him omni and it's short for um oh what is it omniscient okay not omniscient. Omina, o ominous. Ominous? Not ominous. That's why we called him Omni. I was like, what om word? The one I can't actually pronounce. <laughs> but no, but like he will come up and like he's actually walked up to our door before and just sat outside our door and my cats are just like, holy fuck. So, I mean, he, he terrorizes our cats a yeah. lot and we don't like him. Yeah, we have we have a neighborhood cat that's uh, not been neutered and likes to, <gasps> likes to mark our front porch. Oh, that's awful. Regularly. Yeah. And, you know, when we had a cat living here regularly, that didn't happen because there were territories were staked out. Now we have sort of the neighbor's cat has semi-adopted us. If she's out and it's too cold, she'll come and spend the night in our house. And I've, do I've domesticated her. She was a very unpleasant kitty cat. <laughs> but I think she was a, a free-roaming cat that the neighbor ad adopted. And for about a year, I couldn't come near her without just hissing and clawing. She doesn't, she's been declawed on the front, so she's a little crazy about that too. And so I would see her at my neighbor's and I'd go over there to say hi to her and she'd hiss at me and bite at me. And eventually I started going over there with catnip and I would just leave her a little catnip and then walk away. And eventually I got to pet her a little bit, but then she would claw me and I'd walk away. And now... Now she's climbing up on my shoulder, comes in the house, sleeps on my lap for hours, and and is is just a regular, regular kitty cat, at least to me. But that was years of years of catnip bribing. <laughs> we have a catnip uh, plant outside on our porch, and when it's summer and it's growing freely, at any point in time, you can see any of our cats just sleeping in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're lucky. It, it, 
I try I've tried to grow catnip outside and and I've even tried putting like milk crates over it so that it would grow out through the milk crates so the only thing they could get to were the leaves that were growing out of it and they would knock the milk crate over so then I took the milk crate and put heavy stuff on it ah they'd probably get two or three cats knock the heavy stuff over and just <laughs> eat the plants right down to the roots you know yeah there's just no it's a weed and it loves to grow but when you just they would Wait. destroy it Ours isn't a big pot. I'll have to ask my stepmom what it is, but ours isn't like a super big pot and other plants grow in it too. So I think the other plants deter them from it. I don't know. I don't know enough about plants. Do I look like a herbologist? Botanist. Botanist. A herb what did I say? A herbologist? That's Harry Potter. <laughs> That's definitely Harry Potter. <laughs> well, I guess I should ask, how was your year? Your year I haven't talked to you. Two thousand fourteen was not I mean, was not a bad year. As far as, like, movies and stuff go, eh, it was an okay year and stuff. But as far as, like, life goes, it was good. Good. I mean, I think our, I think the Two True Freaks has run, been just running smoothly and moving forward. I couldn't be happier with that. Uh, our network, how many shows do we have on the network now? It's, like, well over 30, I right? don't know. It's over 30. Yeah, I don't know. And, I, I mean, there's there's other people who are trying to set up shows too and stuff so it's it, it's always more and more because like i was talking to sean and shag and they were like yeah we listen to so-and-so's show and so-and-so show and so-and-so's and i'm like i can not even like listen like how <laughs> that's that's the worst thing about it for me is i cannot i, I mean i keep up with our own shows only because i'm on them and i have to edit half of them and and then it's just catch as catch can with any anything else and i i feel bad because there's people who have whole shows on two true freaks that i've only heard a handful of episodes for it i and and it makes me feel bad when i show up on shows i don't get the in jokes <laughs> on my own network and they'll make a joke and i'll be like what are you guys talking about and they're like oh you don't know we do this and that and I, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, a lot of it for me is like interest stuff. They like, cause like I've never read Walking Dead and I've never seen Walking right, Dead, right. so I have no interest of listening to Walking Dead Wednesday. <laughs> although, I, although I'll say this: about forty to fifty percent of Walking Dead Wednesday strays from Walking Dead. You know, but that's yeah, that's it's all straying from Walking Dead. Yeah, that's that that's the thing about it. Well, that's the thing about Two True Freaks is I think we've just attracted a whole group of people who like to go on tangents, who like to not that not that some of some of our shows aren't razor on topic all the time, but I think we've got a pretty rambling bunch and I think that sort of works out for us. As I, as we I, see here. <laughs> I know, I personally don't mind tangents and stuff. Like nope. uh that's where my series of Sherlock episodes came from was when I had Shag on my show forever ago, and we were talking about Doctor Who, and we went on a 40-minute tangent about BBC Sherlock. That's how nerds talk, for the most part. For, you know, for maybe, or, you know, a certain, an, enough percentage of them talk like that. I, you know, I think about it a lot. I belong to a lot of other groups that are podcast groups where people are talking about running their podcast and all that and, and stuff like that. And I think about it a lot. I was reading something this this one woman was said they they were somebody asked a question about length of time of podcasts and whether it should be directly on target and stuff and this one person was saying um ah oh, well you know if the if the person who does a podcast hasn't done their homework on the topic and isn't at least 
peppering out trivia information and stuff like that, then it's not worth listening to. I disagree. I totally disagree. I it's I, I think a lot of the people who listen to our podcast already know the trivia stuff and stuff like that, or if they want to learn it, they, they see it on Wikipedia or IMDb. They want to hear what people think about it, and uh, and they want to hear people that they identify with talking about it, you know, having a conversation about it. I think that time is always something I've always debated with a lot of my friends. Um, a lot of my friends have hour-long shows, mm-hmm. and they feel like getting into the hour and a half plus is too long. I can sort of see that because a lot of my really long shows, like my two or three hour shows, have some of my lowest downloads. While my what about your four hour shows? <laughs> oh God, yeah, those are marathons, and those are marathons to edit. <laughs> oh my God, my I think my last four hour long show took me like three days straight yeah. of working, like eight hours just I to can edit. Imagine, yeah. But but I mean, like I can understand where they're coming from when it because a lot of my hour long shows have more downloads because they're faster listens but at the same time a lot of when I, when I see like fandom shows and stuff like that i i feel like they always don't always get the meat of the show right. in hour-long formats and then mm-hmm. and that's why i choose to have longer shows because if i'm because especially the way my show is set up i have specials and so with in my specials like i like for example cabin pressure I had a cabin pressure show. It was four hours long. I'm probably never gonna have a cabin pressure special again. So of course I'm gonna talk about every single thing I can fit into one show. So I don't mind. But then like a lot of these hour, like even with my friends that have these like hourly shows weekly when a show is running, I still they they're weekly, so they have 22 episodes to talk about this like one situation in right. a season. And I still feel like they don't always get to the meat of it, like the characters, like or the plot or the themes. They just kind of like, oh hey, we liked this. Here's the news. Here's some feedback. Yay! And it's not just I'm I just felt like I totally called out one friend. It's all my friends that do this that are podcasting. Like I don't feel like they ever get to. The, I've, it's like surface podcasting. They're just treading the water and they're not like diving deep. There's, there's so many. There's some people. There's some people who wouldn't dream of making a podcast more than five or ten minutes long. You know, or f- fifteen minutes is, would seem too long of an attention span for people, in, in we've, some levels of podcasting. We talked about cats and podcasting, and we're already like twenty-two minutes in, according to my counter. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean. I don't know, but at the same time, it also really works for a lot of people because a lot of people do like kind of the Reader's Digest version, and I can understand that. Well, I don't know. I'm it's more, a really I'm, weird topic. I've always been interested in – I've not been happy in the course of my life watching people people's attention spans for media become shorter and shorter and shorter or for anything. You know, to where everything is becomes a sort of cliff notes grab for attention. You know, you sort of have to grab for attention with everybody else doing it. It started with YouTube. I, I, if you remember the early, there's still people who do it, and they're amongst the most popular vloggers in the world. They put on that effective voice and they go, "Hey, blah 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 blah." They, they I will say, don't you dare just hang green. I love him. I, I, I'm not sure if he's, he's. He's one of them, but they have a whole like affected personality and they'll do a five minute, you know, I like this. I don't like this. Or I'm making fun of this. I was afraid that people were losing, you know, the, uh, in the early days of YouTube, I was lucky enough b- before when you were limited to like, I don't think you could put a, a film up that was less than nine or more than nine minutes long, but I got a, a special account as a producer 
in, in those days of YouTube where you could put up stuff up to a certain size. So it could be as long as you want. So we would put up videos a half hour, hour long, 45 minutes, however we could squash it into that amount of megabytes that, that we needed. And we would have significantly less hits, but we would still get a good number of hits. And, and I was always more interested in the people who were going to pay attention for a longer time, you know, mm -hmm. who could sit down and, and, and pay attention to something and follow something for, for a length of time rather than just getting, you know, the, the bullet points of, of everything all the time. So I don't mind the trade-off of less downloads and some people snubbing their noses at it. And, and I understand with people who like who are using phones, they could use up their use up a lot of their monthly bandwidth. And I know for a lot <laughs> for of people our podcast. I know for me, um, I used when I used to commute longer to work, that's when I would listen to most of my podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know a lot of my friends will like listen to a podcast in our car, so they'll try and find podcasts that are just enough amount of time to fit their drive. Mm -hmm. So I can understand that. And I, I know people, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of our a lot of the early fans of Two True Freaks were people with long day at a desk job, and there were a bunch of uh, truck drivers too. Really? Yeah. Because they're I driving, mean, they're driving you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. They could just listen to, and I mean, trucks these days, they all, you know, they have, they have internet in them, you know? So yeah, one of our earliest fans was a long haul truck driver and he loved mean? us because, because we would put out three hour, four hour shows. So he would listen to one show and by the time the show was over, you know, three He's hours there. passed. Yeah, exactly. And that's how Scott, that's how Scott Gardner found out about podcasts. That's basically how two true freaks got started is scott gardner was walking around at his job uh you know and it was a job that he was doing you know all by himself he wasn't working with other people and he would put on headphones and he got sick of listening to music all day and started listening to the podcast and noticed wow my day goes by a lot faster when i'm listening to people talk about comic books oh i did not know that that's our roots our roots yep I breakfast. I apologize, listeners, if there's any background noise. We're putting in a new stovetop in our kitchen next, like right out, right side my door. So I do apologize if you guys hear any background noise. That's us getting a brand new shiny stove. Excellent. I know. I'm excited. Our cats are really excited about the boxes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. There's one. Oh my god, it's it's about the size of my bed. It's what the stove actually came in, and it's huge. And at one point, we had three cats trying to get into it at once. They couldn't see each other on the opposite sides of all the boxes. <laughs> and two of them jumped and got really startled and fell off. So uh, it's been fun. Boxes and cats. It's just such a strange thing that they like. Yeah. Anything that you can put all around them, just, just their head sticks out. They're happy as a clam. I Actually, I saw that video of, of you torturing your pug. <laughs> and... Uh, and that's 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 a the very typical pug behavior that like if you he was he had one side the video I'm describing uh, hopes Catter Pug is is sort of her name is Lucy Lucy is is mashed between the couch and one of the couch um, cushions on either side of her and you're just sort of pushing her on both sides and she's I, just, I wasn't even pushing like I would just like let the pillow go and it would just flop on her very lightly and she stacked there yeah it just stayed there yeah because they, she was getting pressure they, they animals love to have that pressure on both sides to be sort of surrounded by something when they're when they're in their safe happy you know home place 
And that, that dog was probably just in ecstasy. It was just like, oh, yes. <laughs> Getting pressed like a grilled cheese sandwich. I love it. Oh, man. A pug cheese. That's gross. Anyway. <laughs> pug cheese sandwich. I don't know. Social media is a really funny beast. I, I remember my friends had a really great episode on their podcast about how, like, social media has affected television and movies now. Mm. Because before, like... Hell, even when I was just a teenager before, like, Twitter and everything, there was, like, no instant reaction to a television show. You know, you would wait for, like, Entertainment Weekly to come out to see what the critics thought about it or, or like, for TV Guide to come out and talk about the show and stuff. But now it's so instant. Like, like just last night, I, I, I like to live blog on Twitter when I'm watching TV shows. And I was like, I do, like, Sons of Liberty and Agent Carter recently. And I, I enjoy live tweeting my shows. And it's... It's fun because as I was uh, live tweeting Sons of Liberty last night, one of the actors from the show was favoriting all my tweets, and then I freaked out. And so, but it's interesting because like, it's a very instant reaction. I don't know if it's always good or bad because as a creator, I know some creators of television, you know, they just completely ignore the fans. They don't care. They just do it their own thing. But a lot of alt writers also take that feedback. They know that they hear it. But it also has created a fine line between almost abusive. Like, I remember a buddy, well, I shouldn't say buddy, some, uh, an actor I admire that I've met a few several times and we are familiar with each other in life. <laughs> right. <laughs> I say buddy, but we're not. We don't hang out. Her name is King Connor Tracy, and when her character died in Once Upon a Time, people were, like, harassing her. They are like, yeah, I'm glad you're dead, bitch. And she's like, that's not me. Right. <laughs> So it's this kind of weird fine line, like, while I really enjoy having Twitter in this age and having that kind of instant gratification and just seeing news instantly, like, the moment news breaks, you have it, um, opposed to, like, having to wait for a paper or for the five o'clock news to come on, you have it, but at the same time, it's a really, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, well, you get it faster, sometimes it's not as accurate as, uh... You know, there's there's good and, and bad aspects of it. I think with the TV shows, I think it's generally in the in general, it's going to increase the quality of the shows because it kind of increases the pressure on the people who make them to because they get fe the such feedback quickly. Uh, as far as the awful, I feedback, don't know the awful stuff though. I think when you become famous or very or you don't even have to become famous, just active on the internet. Where if you get if you garner enough attention, you get those horrible people, you know, telling you that you should go kill yourself and stuff. And eventually, you either reach a point where you have to walk away from it or just totally disregard it and say, okay, there it is, you know, here it comes, it's gonna come and and filter it out and find the stuff, you know, because there's negative stuff that you get that's that's helpful or it might not even be nice, but at least it's like accurate. Or something, and then there's just the the trolls and the and the people, the trolls and bullies and stuff like that, and they just sort of come with the territory. I think it's been obvious in the last decade or so, TV has just been getting almost up to the level of movies. It's almost had to. I don't go to the movies very often. I had to really want to see a movie to go see it. And That's... a lot of it is because of the price. Like, I can't afford to get right. to the movies as much as I used to. Like, I used to get to the movies all the time. I can afford it. But the thing is, like, 
I would rather a lot of stories go to a TV format than a movie format because I'd rather watch 22 episodes of a well-developed thought process and characters and plot than watch two, hour, two, two and a half hours crammed together to try to get to a point. Basically, I was watching, my roommate was um, just binge watching um, American Horror Story. And uh, and I would you know I'd stop in the living room and talk to her and watch a couple minutes of whatever was happening on the TV and then and I was and I realized TV has gone to the level of rated R now. <laughs> you can on do the channel, rated yeah. R movies on TV. Yeah, like I, I keep bringing up Sons of Liberty, but I just watched it last night. Like they were saying shit. Yeah. Maybe like there's a one point where Paul Revere looked at a, a like a British soldier and he was like, "Well, that's bullshit." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, history you can really. You can. That's the history channel. You can have people speaking like human people doing, you know, the stuff that you, you know. There's not that bizarre language of TV where they had to skirt every, you know, they had to figure out if you wanted two characters to have sex in TV, you had to do it through implication or. There's still a family line though. Yeah. Um, the family, because like you see this a lot on like uh, cable TV or not cable TV, the uh, network TV. Like when you hit that like seven eight o'clock hour, it's still very kid friendly. Your nine o'clock shows kind of getting there, but anything that's ten and later is like really hot and heavy. Yes. Like there's still that kid line. Yeah, and I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it used to be the kid line was everything. <laughs> at, yeah. At some point, I mean you would have TV shows that. Every once in a while, PBS could pull off some swearing and even nudity and stuff because they were artsy public TV. It was in the name of art. You know, they could explain why it was okay to have the nudity in the British production of The Life of Casanova or whatever. Yeah, nowadays, the way we view TV with Netflix and where, you know, you really almost don't have to get cable anymore. More, you know, you a lot get, of my friends don't have cable. They, they just have, have like Hulu. smart TVs or something. They have Hulu and Netflix. Yeah, Actually, they yeah, just yeah. get a Roku, and a Roku has Netflix, Hulu, Amazon. Like a lot of my friends don't have cable. Yeah, and 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 if there's something you miss that doesn't come on those, yeah, you can always torrent it or watch it on some streaming site. Or um, it's it's and, sort of forcing TV and TV shows to cater more towards. A real audience, an adult audience, and treat them like adults. I, I love it, you know, and we've been seeing TV shows like nothing before, you know. And even then, like, where the format of television is changing, like, I know at the Golden Globes and the Emmys recently, you have shows like Orange is the New Black and Transparent, both are only on Netflix and Amazon. They do not come on television at all. And they're winning Emmys and Golden Globes and getting nominations. And they're never on a person's TV box. Yeah. And why shouldn't they? Yeah, that's the thing. And that should have all the networks scared. <laughs> and there's people there's people who are doing movies now that are going direct to Netflix or, or Hulu or just to some sort of direct download. Yeah, sort of like the interview or something like that, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, even YouTube, like, mm -hmm. YouTube itself, like, a lot of things are released on there. You just pay, like, your dollar fee and you can watch the movie. You don't even have to drive to the movies. It's just, it's been the natural, it's been just moving towards that, and I like that, I like living during <laughs> that era. I cannot keep up with good TV. I, I think the next TV show, a lot of people telling me I have to watch Orange is the New Black, 
and that sound it sounds interesting to me because it it sounds it just sounds like a great concept for a TV show. I I haven't seen it yet either, but I super want to see it uh, mainly because two of my really good friends have Orange Is the New Black podcast, and I I love them to death. And hell, even if I haven't watched the show, I've listened to a few episodes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I and I need to catch up on Agents of Shield. I'm I'm two episodes behind. I haven't seen the the season finale. I've only seen before. the season premiere. I've only seen the first episode, so I'm okay. Way so this behind. is th- this is the thing about Agents of Shield. Um, you've seen Winter Soldier, correct? Yes. Okay, so the thing about Agents of Shield. Oh yeah, you were on the Winter Soldier podcast. I remember that. Um, I listened to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it starts off really slow, very much like bad guy of the week. And it's in, it's incredibly slow. But what you don't realize until later on in the season that those bad guys of the week are the building blocks for the rest of the show. Because mm-hmm. then what happens is they hit the Hydra reveal, and there's an agent on their team that's a part of Hydra. I won't say who. But then all those bad guys of the week in the first half come back after the Hydra reveal, and they all play major, huge, big roles in the second half of the season. So if you can get to the Hydra reveal, it goes from being pretty okay to really freaking good. And then the second season has been very interesting, because now, of course, like there is no shield. Director right. Fury's not there, because he's not there in, from Captain America. And it's very interesting, and with the announcement of... The they, they bring in something from Guardians of the Galaxy that I was not expecting. Oh, wow. I, was like, what? I know, I was like, what is this? I, I guess so, it makes sense. They should be doing that, but yeah, that is surprising. Yeah, it was they introduced it first in the show and then when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, everybody was like, Wait a second, was that that thing? And Marvel was like, Yes it was. <laughs> Marvel's so smart. They have such a good long term plan. And I mean, I, Agent of Shield just what how you described Agent of Shield just shows it. They, they, th- you know, somebody probably is saying, yeah, this first season's going to be kind of slow for people. A lot of people would not have the confidence or courage <laughs> to put out a slow season that's going uh, for a first season that's going to build no, in it, that's going to pay off. Before Winter Soldier, nobody knew the Hydra right. reveal was coming. Nobody knew it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do, too, because, like, we're about to get the Daredevil show on Netflix, the Jessica Jones show. Uh, they actually, ju- I just read today they cast uh, David Tennant to play the Purple Man I in saw the that. Jessica Jones show, yeah. I'm very curious about the Daredevil show. I'm a little, you know, I, 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 the, I did not like the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. It wasn't horrible, but it just didn't capture the feel of Daredevil for me. And I, and like... For once, Daredevil is something I actually read Daredevil comics for a long time and was a, a big fan of them, so I actually know a little bit about it. I kind of have a dog in the fight on this one, so I'm hoping it's good. But it's 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 like anything else, and I I sort of like being on the outside of a lot of these Marvel stories because I don't have to worry about not seeing it the version that I want. Like the version of Daredevil that's ideal to me was in the mid-80s when Frank Miller took it over and Poe said David Mazzuchelli was drawing it after that and 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 stuff like that it was a very uh gritty crime story sort of thing and I'm assuming since that was the most popular period that's what the Netflix show is going to be but I would have assumed the Ben Affleck one would have been like that too (laughs) and it wasn't but I'm hoping that that was then and not this is now where people sort of 
who are making, especially the TV show. Well, TV shows and and the Marvel movies are really having a keen sense of of the characters and the feel for it and getting it right. I'm very excited about 2015. I'm going to be so broke because I'm gonna. There's a lot of movies I'm going to have to see in 2015 in the theater. They're spread out, luckily. I don't... Oh, God. There's one movie I still haven't seen that I keep crying over. I still haven't seen The Hobbit, the last Hobbit movie. I I, I have not seen it. I don't know how I feel about seeing it because I love the first two. And a lot of the reports of the third one make it sound like I'm going to like it. But it doesn't sound as fun as the first... first See, I... Well, it's not supposed to be fun. Everyone dies. (laughs) I... Well, yeah, but... I like to have. I I was enjoying having fun in those first two movies, and I know the story element of it. So that also, yeah, I know it's just going to be a big fight, and it's you know a three-hour Peter Jackson fight too. So, and I don't doubt that it's going to be entertaining all the way through. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, but I definitely, I'm definitely going to see The Hobbit. I'm, I'm kind of committed to it. I don't want to sound like I don't want to see it because I do. It's I'm probably going to enjoy it, but I'm just sort of afraid. I haven't been as fast to see it as I was the last two. For me, I I really want to see it in in theaters before it's out and I'm losing time fast. And a lot of that is because since since the first Lord of the Rings movies came out, it's been 17 years, which is almost which is about half my life, give or take a few years. Wow. So yeah. Half of my life has been these movies. I, I loved the first Lord of the Rings movie. I saw it because my sister worked in a movie theater. We got she got like a free movie ticket every day. Oh, and so, you so just went and went. Yeah, I saw Fellowship of the Rings thirteen times in theaters, four times in IMAX, and once uh-huh. at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. Wow. Yeah, and and uh, it was it was probably like I grew up in fandoms like you know I grew up with like Pokemon Digimon stuff but it was like one of the first times I really had a fandom with a group of friends because when I was in middle school and in elementary school like I would have like one friend that would like something with me and we'd be friends and stuff and like talk about it but it was the first time like I had like a group of people and it was also right about the first time I went to Dragon Con. So it was my first time experience. Like yeah. Dragon Con was my first convention. It was a big like new experience of me meeting groups of people and going to a convention. And I went to a Hobbit dance. And they were playing like folky, like electronic, like folk music. And like Craig Parker, who plays Haldir, he showed up and I have a picture of me and him together. And it was like my first time really experiencing like group fandom and this whole new world of conventions. So like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits movies mean so much to me. Like it is the end of an era of my life. (laughs) And so I want to see it so bad in theater and I just haven't between retail and working and just not having a lot of money like and just every time I have a day off I just don't have the money to go see it I just haven't had a chance to go and it's killing me (laughs) we have a beautiful little um second run theater about a mile from my house and that's what I'm probably I'm probably gonna wait for it to go there you know it's it used to be it used to be the it used to be a the three dollar cinema three dollar double feature and now it's the five dollar double feature cinema but either way and I imagine when The Hobbit goes there, it'll just be, you know, it won't be a double feature. But that's a great, it's one of the classic, you know, little Rialto sort of neighborhood theaters that's still intact. Family runs it and they, the, the cat hangs out and will sometimes sit in your lap. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great place to see a movie. But 
It's good. Well, it probably won't be that long before it starts showing up in places like that. Actually, the way things go these days. I'm saying I don't even think I have any dollar theaters near where I live. The close, actually, <gasps> I kind of do. Look at that. I do have a dollar theater near me. I've only lived in this location for like a year and a half, so I'm still kind of learning the area. It'll probably oh. hang out at the dollar theater for a while too. Well, it's ma it's it's made a lot of money, so. I think oh, I think man. it's made more money than the other two movies. Yeah, I hear it's it's one of the best ones um, around, like out. I don't know. I just my only thing about it is, I, I well for one, I know that they had to produce the Hobbit movies much faster than they produced the three Lord of the Rings. Because like what, like they, to get the three movies out, they filmed all, all at one time, and it took like what, like five years to film all three of them. Right, right. Well, these ones they churned them out like super fast and. I remember having this debate about CGI versus, like, in those battles in the in Lord of the Rings, they would have, like, hundreds of people, and they did all their makeup, and you'd have these massive uh, fight scenes with hundreds and hundreds of people as well. This time, it was mostly just CGI. And so I, I do miss that quality of the earlier Lord of the Rings movies of those. And they were all, like, volunteers. Like, they were just people who lived in New Zealand. They're like, yeah, you want to film in my yard? Sure, I'll be an orc. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I'm sure they would be able to do that for the Hobbit too. But, and I noticed there's there were some shots in the second Hobbit movie in the barrel with with the barrels going down the river, where yeah. I'm pretty positive those were high def video, like almost GoPro level. You know, there there were some some of the perspective shots from the barrel. I think they had you know a high def video camera, maybe about like my my digital video camera you know like almost a consumer grade and i think they just were i think there was some point where they were like you know what this is the best shot let's uh let's doctor it up a little bit so it looks a little more like film and and put it up there but that that sort of like filming on the run like that i think it gave it a real energy that i think even the lord of the Rings. this is where we get scandalous with me and the Hobbit is. I've liked the Hobbit movies more than the Lord of the Rings movies. Really? And not to say that I didn't like the Lord of the Rings movies. I thought they pretty much pulled off something that was pretty much considered impossible, and I considered it impossible, especially like after seeing the first crack at it with uh, the the animated Lord of the Rings, you know, from the 70s. Oh man, I love that version. I love it too, but it's it's pretty hard on on the the you know just it was really hard for they were really had to give up a lot of stuff and if they would have continued on with it i don't see how they would have fit all the stuff that they needed to fit into it yeah to get to the end of it in another movie which was what the plan was whereas this one was even you know where peter jackson did a live action version of it oh people were really sketchy of it and and i saw it and i was just like wow they they did it and the and after i saw the fir the fellowship of the rings i was like that's about they got about a third of it in there you know they got about all of it in there in the in those 3 hours that's pretty amazing and it looked beautiful and it was incredibly acted but the hobbit was fun i just had it's even uh, the first and the second one even in the stuff that was kind of overblown to where I thought they sort of took it and made it a little more video gamey or, you know, more Peter Jackson style. I love that stuff too. Everything in it was just entertaining the hell out of me. 
And the, the, the first Hobbit movie, I, I watched it and I turned right around and I watched it again. I had so much fun and it had been a while since I had, I think the next time I had that much fun watching like a mainstream movie was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. God, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it was f- just pure fun, you know, from beginning to end, you know, just, uh, fun without, and, and not just, and not dumb fun either, just uh, fu- good, good, hearty fun. And, I wonder uh, if it's because it's a shorter book, so there's not as much stuff in it. Because, well, God, the Council of Elrond chapter in Fellowship of the Rings is like, <laughs> oh my, it's like 50 pages, it's like 50 pages or 70 yeah, pages. Like, it's, it's long. I read that when I was like 10 years old, and that was like getting through, like, The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit maybe like eight, nine years old. And The Hobbit is a story, you know, it's one story, and, and it has a voice to it where. You know, there isn't there isn't a narrator as such as a character who's narrating it, but the Tolkien as a writer would say things like, Poor Mr. Baggins, you know, he was now he was soaking wet and blah blah blah. So it had almost a children's book feel to it, you know. It, it, and I, that, I think I remember correctly, like he originally wrote the Hobbit to be a children's book, while Lord of the Rings are supposed to be when those children are older. Yes, yeah. And and that's so and I and I read Lord of the Rings a few years after The Hobbit, and it was still it was a tough read because a lot of it. I remember being a kid uh, as a kid, and there were I think three or four of us who were reading Lord of the Rings at the time. That was, and uh, that whole Council of Elrond part, we would compare it to like reading the Bible or something, you know. Yeah. A textbook, you know, where you had to, you know, there were portions where the the parts that were tough for me were the long involved story songs and stuff yeah. that drove me nuts as a kid. But as an adult, now I read them and OK, I, I, I read them as a story. As a kid, it was something I just had to get through and I wasn't thinking about yeah, maybe I can get something from the story of this or or something like that. Well, I know I went through the exact same thing. I read The Hobbit in sixth or seventh grade. And then shortly after I got my hands on Lord of the Rings, I still have never finished Lord of the Rings because I've just never gone back and read it. Because I read The Fellowship and I loved it. Um, but it was still so hard to trudge through. But the one that got me was The Two Towers. Mm-hmm. Because the first half, I was conf- I thought Gondor and Rohan were the same country. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, and they were just a, like, a, like, they were like states at a civil war, like in the same country. I didn't realize they were two completely separate systems. And then what, but what really got me was the first half is all Legolas, uh, Gimli, and Aragorn. The second half is nothing but Sam and Frodo walking, walking. forever. <laughs> and there's not a lot happens of them walking. Like, they'll have three chapters about how awful it is to walk. And then they'll meet Gollum. And they'll have a few more chapters. And then they meet Faramir. And then they'll have a few more chapters. And then they walk upstairs. <laughs> like, I just... I just could not get through all the walking. I remember slogging through it, and then once I'd finished it and had the whole story in my head, then it became, then I was just like, this is great, you know? But getting through it all was like entering the information, in, and then I had to process it. And, I, and, the, and the thing is, I had, like, it, once again, three or four other nerds there, who were also talking about it. So we had, you know, we would meet in the library in the morning and and talk about it. And then the Lord of the Rings movie came out. So that you know, once I'd put the story together in my head, 
then it was probably maybe it, it's hard to tell you know think about time at that time but it was probably maybe a year after i'd read lord of the rings the first time i read it a second time and that time i was all over it i loved reading it because i already had the story in my head but now i was going back through and all of a sudden i was picking up a lot of details that I'd either glossed over or were just, I mean, there, there's just frankly too much information thrown at you reading reading Lord of the Rings. I think if you really, really, really want to read Lord of the Rings, like for the first time, like if your kid was like, I want to read Lord of the Rings, you should sort of do it like people approach, like when they would read the Bible. You, you read just a little bit of it at a time, just a few pages, and and you know spend the time that you would be reading three chapters on two or three pages going over it and and uh you know rereading it and thinking about it or like or even like talking to somebody about it and then just slowly working it and have it you know be sort of part of your daily routine for two or three years i think that would be the best way it would almost be like having a little tv serial it, it, you is, could never do it because the kids would get their hands on the movie immediately and it would be all over. My plans if I ever read Two Towers again, um, I, and I plan to, I want to someday in my life to go back and actually finish Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. But if I, whenever I go back, I'm going to read a chapter from Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, and then a chapter from Bilbo and Frodo, uh, Sam. And just alternate chapters, because like, I read the first half easy. Uh, it was not. It was no problem other than confusing Gondor and Rohan when I was like ten. <laughs> other than that, oh man, though, when I watched Two Towers and I saw there were separate countries, I had a moment of just very loudly in the theater going, "Oh!" Because <laughs> 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 it just clicked. And I got it. Um, no, but uh, it was just that second half of them just doing a shit ton of walking. That was the one that did it for me. So, and now that I'm an adult, like, I can understand it. Like, even now as an adult, when I went back and I reread The Hobbit before the first Hobbit movie came back, because I hadn't read it since I was 10. And so I reread the book, and I was like, man, I, re I didn't remember as much as I thought I did. Like, I missed so much. <laughs> I, I think you would have to be, like, Rain Man <laughs> to, to read it once and, and remember anything but just, you know, remember the character's and mo who most of the characters are, and the basic structure of the story, you know, the... Yeah, like, I forgot the, for the Battle of Five Armies, like, Bilbo got knocked out at the beginning, and they described the entire battle in, like, a page and a half. <laughs> I totally forgot about that part yeah. of it. <laughs> and then, but that's something that I think the movies do so well, is, like, like for example, in the books, the other than Bomber and Thorin, all the dwarves are just, like, a mesh together. They really have no personalities. Right, right. And I really liked that about in the movie that each one has a separate personality. They each have their own weapons. They have their own costumes. Like, and it's great. And that's something the movies did so well was actually taking the time to flesh out each of the warriors. Mm -hmm. Though I have to say, if you've never seen, listened to it, Chris, um, I pulled it up just to make sure I had the right one. They did a Lord of the Rings radio series uh, in 1981. And it's, it's still like an abridged version, but it, and it's like 14 discs. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's amazing. And I've, Ian I've, Holm... I've listened to the first couple discs of it because um, when uh, Scott McGregor lives next door to me, when he first started going um, garage sailing with me, that was one of the first things he found was 
you know, a big stack of CDs of the Lord of the Rings and we popped it right in in the car. It was really good. It was well produced. That's for yeah. Sure. Ian Holmes, who mm-hmm. plays old Bilbo in Lord of the Rings, he is the voice of Frodo in it. Mm-hmm. And it is just incredibly good. Just like looking at the cast, seeing it. Uh, Bill Knightley is Samwise Gamgee. Yeah, the whole the whole production of Bilbo's going away party on that is so beautifully done. Ah, uh, listeners, I highly, highly, highly yep. recommend it. I it's. It is so good, and it's, I get, the episode, there's 26 episodes, but on disc, I think it's broken up into 12 discs, and it's probably one, if you like listening to podcasts, especially audio podcasts, and like stories and stuff like that, I highly suggest trying to get your hands on it. It's, it really includes a lot of the minor characters, it includes a lot of the minor stories, but it doesn't have like all the 50 pages of the Council of Elrond. right. (laughs) It's 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 a great abridged version, and they really don't leave a lot out. No, and it's got the same flow as the books. I I've always wondered, and I'm I'm pretty sure there hasn't been, but maybe somebody will know different why there hasn't been uh, a Lord of the Rings comic book. I've seen a couple of Hobbit comic books. There's been um, Hobbit comic books. There was a a nice ad- adaptation of it done a while ago that was sort of like nice painted art. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was very close to the book, um, but I, but you know, it would seem like Lord of the Rings would be such a natural for a nice long, you know, it would be a, you could do, you could do a hundred issues, you could probably do more than a hundred issues, and just if you wanted to cover all of Lord of the Rings completely, and I wonder if it's because of the publishing houses. I wonder if Lord of the Rings and Hobbits is under two different publishing houses, so they can get the rights for one but not the other one. But I don't actually know. It might be, but I. Publishing houses are weird. <laughs> and well, I've heard the Tolkien estate is weird too. Or yeah, the... his kids all have like different rights to different things. It's like why the Similarian is that what's called Similarian? Yeah, the Similarian. Uh, that's why it, they they flat out the estate said they're not ever gonna do a movie of it because uh, the people who own in the Tolkien estates would not give up those rights, but the other person who owned Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits gave up those. Like, different people own different stories in the Tolkien estate. Well, the Silmarillion was the one I could never make it through. Never. Oh, man, I've heard, I heard few, horror stories about that. It steps beyond... Well, it's not as much of a... Lin, it's not a linear story. It's It's like a history book, basically. It's yeah. hardcore fleshing in. It's got stories in it, but it's also got a lot of, you know, family bloodlines and. Those are like those Old Testament chapters yeah. of the Bible where it's like so and so married so and so and lived to 110, and then their children was so and so and married this person and lived to 150. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's there's a certain kind of person that really enjoys stuff like that. That that, but I'm not that kind of. Me neither. So I've seen a lot of great fans do like little on like Tumblr and stuff, do like little comics of like like for the like for example, like the fight between like the light and the dark gods and like do comics like fleshing it out and really laying it out nicely. Those are really great. <laughs> I'm okay with those. Yeah. I, I just I, I don't understand it might, it's gotta be some sort of licensing thing because you would be printing money with Lord of the Rings comic books. It's a natural if you're gonna make them into a movie. Jeez, you could. I saw in previews they're doing a Wrinkle in Time graphic novel, oh, like, like really? a one shot. 
Yeah, I saw it in the latest. Where is the latest previews? One of my favorite books of all time. I'm actually currently rereading it right now. I haven't read it since sixth grade. And all I can remember about it. No, I've never read any of the sequels. I'm highly considering it, though. They're good. Like, all I can remember from it was there's a girl and two boys and Mrs. What's It and Mrs. Who and Mrs. Witch. And that's all I can remember about it from sixth grade. And And a dog named Fortinbras. Yeah. Oh, and the Tesseract. I remember the, actually yeah. the picture of the ant on the string. So I really, I started doing this thing this year where I've been wanting to um, read a current book and then read a classic. And I, I had that one. I was looking at it. And I was like, you know, I haven't really read this in so long. So I've been rereading it. And I've been loving it. It was way faster than I remember from when I was 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you know they made a movie, uh, a made-for-TV movie out, out of it? Really? It can be found on YouTube. I think that's where I watched it was on YouTube. I might have to consider that because I've really been enjoying it. And the special effects, you know, are were TV. I think it was probably early 90s it was made maybe. So they're very like a little sub Star Trek The Next Generation. But, I mean, the story, they, they get the story, right? The kid they get to play Charles Wallace is really good too. He seems to... Oh, is it the Disney one? I'm looking at it right now. It might be Disney. It says in 2003, so... Oh, maybe it was later than... Maybe it just looked... <laughs> Though apparently footage from the project appeared in trailers on the Spy Kid DVD as early as 2001. And it was included on the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring DVD as a trailer. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Hey. Whoa. So, yeah. Yeah, The I, I'm trying to think of the name... A Wind in the Door is the second book, and then it's A Swiftly Tilting Planet. And by A Swiftly a swiftly p- Tilting Planet, Meg is married and pregnant. What? Yeah, in the in the book. It, so it takes place much later, or not much, yeah, a good, good, good while later. And Charles Wallace is like young adult by that oh. point. So according to this, it's... Wind in the Door, Swiftly Tilting Planet, Many Waters, and Acceptable Time. Those are the five books? Just five books? Yep. Oh, dear God. Oh, my (laughs) God. You've just blown my mind. So, Many Waters, uh, Sandy and Denny Murray, the twins of Megan Charles Wallace, accidentally travel back in time to meet Noah. They help the patriarch reconcile with his father, fall in love with Noah's daughter, Lalith and become engaged in a struggle between seraphims and yes. nephilims. Never mind, I've heard of these two. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're all okay. I, I should oh. read them. They're about Sandy and Denny. And then an acceptable time is Megan Calvin's eldest daughter, Polly oh. O'Keefe, visits her maternal grandparents only to find herself trapped 3,000 years in the past and kind of struggle between people of the wind and the warlike, drought stricken people across the lake. I'm going to so, have to read those. I, I vaguely remember now hearing about the Sandy and Denny book and being like, oh, no, it's not, it's like a sort of it's like a um, spinoff. You know, I, I thought about it, although I've read a lot of Madeline Lengel's books and they're really good. She's a really good science fiction writer. Do you ever read any uh, Margaret Atwood? No, I haven't, actually. I'm reading one of her books now called... Um, the year the the year the flood, and I don't know it's it can't be pro, it might not be her most recent book because I've had it for a couple of years before I read it I just sort of dug I didn't know I I didn't remember I had it, and she'd written a book about four or five years ago maybe more called Orkin Crake that was um 
basically sort of you know an end of the end of the world story based around these two guys and this one the year of the flood seems to be a very similar story but around but based around two women and boy it's the best science fiction i've read in a long time and it's funny because i don't think people consider her a science fiction writer because she won a pulitzer prize i think for the handmaiden's tale Mm -hmm. so they think of her as a literary writer but i think pretty much everything she writes is science fiction is usually set in the future and usually a dystopian future very very well written i can't wait to start reading it again to, to get back into reading it you could actually help me with this, because something I really want to do um, is kind of fill in gaps. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this alternating contemporary books with classics. Because in my, just going through school and like middle school and high school and college and stuff, there were still a lot of classics that I completely missed. I've never read anything from the Beatnik era, like Valley Cole, like Jack Kerouac and all that. I've never read a Beatnik book in the 60s or anything. Um, because by the time we reached that point in like American literature, it was always right at the end of the year and we just never got to it. Mm-hmm. I also miss a lot of sci-fi books because they actually, other than things like the big major ones like A Wrinkle in Time or um, stuff by Ray Bradbury and stuff, they just wouldn't teach sci-fi at all in school. So like I would right. just love a list of like from you because you are the most knowledgeable person I know about sci-fi books of like classics that... I should have in my repertoire. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I'd have to think about it, but yeah, right off the bat, I'd say, um, I robot. I I know that sounds awful. It's it's, but it's nothing like the movie. It's, it's the, the movie, the I robot is, is kind of an anthology. It's all written by Isaac Asimov, but it's different. I will say I have an incredibly awful, fear of androids and the robot revolution well you see this that's that's the thing about this the the movie in the book is it's a different the 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 book is it's that classical sci-fi thing where it's not as there's drama in the stories but the drama isn't the focus of the story and it isn't it's more realistic drama you know it's not drama between two people it's a situation happening and it's mm-hmm. it's it's pure like speculation that he's try that he's put into a story to make it you know more as as an entertaining story and it's a collection of short stories that he wrote and you know then compiled into it basically where he's just sort of thinking of in the future when we start developing robots and artificial intelligence what are the problems we're going to run into with them and what are the problems and quirks and you know, things that are, are going to happen. And that's where he sort of, it, that's a great book because <clears throat> he created, it's where science, fi- why science fiction is important because he created stuff in that book that is now actually being applied and thought about in the world of robotics. Every person working on robots right now knows the seven laws of robotics. And I wish I could rifle them off. I can rifle off a some, you know, a, a robot. Yeah, Robert, a robot can never hurt a person. Person or, or through action or inaction, allow harm to come to a person. And, you know, a robot always must follow the orders of a, of a person unless that order, you know, causes harm through action or inaction to another person. So he really thought about it and set it down. And the people who are doing artificial intelligence 
saw that and said, yes, this makes sense. And they're, you know, they're running with it, you know? I don't know, man. I believe Stephen Hawkins when he said don't that... Don't do it. <laughs> you can AI... say don't do it. You can say don't do it, but they're going to do it. Yeah, that AI... Stephen Hawkins said that AIs are actually going to be the downfall of humanity, and it... I fully believe that. It depends on what you mean by the... Do... You know, that's where you start going into, is it going to be transhumanism, or is it going to be the Terminator where the robots are just like, we don't need people, or... Works. No, man. They, fuck it. Okay, so I, I know you've seen The Matrix. Did you ever <laughs> see The Animatrix? Yes. That The one story about, like, the history of the robots and, like, how they became to be and how they rose up and stuff like that. The one that actually, like, I th- I, I, I contribute this movie as being, like, the, the base terror of my fear you, of androids. Okay. And it's the one where, like, the robot murdered a human because his human was going to deactivate him and he said he didn't want to die. <gasps> Jesus, I just got chills. <laughs> like, that scares the pits out of me. And the thing that, that, that I could, and I love my computer, but I swear to God, if it ever becomes sentient, I'm throwing it out the fucking window. <laughs> uh, what if you pick it up and it just gives you sad little little baby eyes, though, you know? And I will says, throw it out the fucking goddamn kill window. I over the balcony and then i will go down to my car and run over it 12 times computer please don't die i know you're getting old i love you but if it becomes sentient i'm gonna fucking shoot it with fire so but it could also go in the direction of where we start building stuff into you know downloading our brains or, or stuff like that to the point of where how human are you you could if you dump your brain into a metal robot you know, is that a human in a metal robot or is it a robot with a human brain? You know, it could get to that point. It could get to that with nanotechnology and stuff the way as long as we don't totally destroy ourselves or run out of food or fuel or stuff. The Here... way technology is advancing eventually, you know, it's like, all right, well, you know, I've got things in my ears that make me hear better and and stuff like that. And you just become and and the computers at the same time are becoming smarter and the humans are becoming more computerized and at some point maybe we'll meet in the middle you know and there'll be some new life form or composite life form or changed yeah it's hard to say but it's a total possibility here's my three exceptions (laughs) my three exceptions um the only android movie that i can absolutely be perfectly okay with i love it it's great is robin williams bicentennial man well that's robin williams is a robot I, such a I sweetie pot i know oh, god rest him <laughs> god rest his soul but like that's one exception my other my other two exceptions are um i think it's really cool what we're doing with 3d printing and they do use some like a, like robotics and do it, and like they use a lot of robotics with 3D printing to help with like prosthetics and prosthetic stuff. arms and stuff. Yeah, a lot so, of kids are getting feet and arms. Yeah, I, and a lot of dogs. I saw one yeah. where they like printed a little cart for a dog, yes. like a little wee dog. Did you see that? That was great. And then the dog finally got to run, and it was just like, like it, it, like it ran for the first time in its life. Yes, and 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 it was just. It was so funny. You see the instinct kick in, and it was like it had been running. It just took it a couple seconds, and it was just like, oh, man, and then it was just going. It was great to see. My last exception is, and I'm going to sound like a slight hypocrite when it comes to AI and stuff. Um, I would love to have the ability, because like I, as a writer, I have this ginormous world in my head. 
And I, I have all these stories and these characters. And the hardest thing for me is, is I'm still learning my craft. And it's just when I write, it doesn't come out and sound the way I want it to. And I don't get the point across. And that's the hardest point about writing is I, I know I have the story that I want to share with everybody inside my head. I would love to have a way to be able to have my mind project my yeah. story and my oh, characters yeah. and be able to experience it. And I know I've been, I joked with my friends before about how fun would it be to like be in a like little AI where you can like hang out with like Tom Hiddleston for a day. <laughs> well, you could, you could, if you had like some sort that of. That sounds more creepy now that I say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> if you had really some creepy. sort of AI where you could, where you could take your stories and, and go, Oh, okay. Well, you know, actually it wouldn't, practically work out if this happened and you know you could see it right around you or just i'm waiting for the day when you put a little headpiece on and you wake up in the morning and you've got a little mpeg of your uh, of your dreams that you can oh, that'd review be so cool i don't know though i've had some pretty fucked up dreams lately i, I mean don't, yeah but it's yeah uh, yeah just make sure they don't get on the cloud <laughs> but yeah i mean yeah, I mean, a lot of people are a lot of people, including myself, will be watching their dreams and then just hitting delete afterwards, just like e, yeah. To go back to like one of our like earlier topics, I mean, how how much easier would it be for like a writer like me to pitch a TV show or a movie? Hmm? Just be like, here, here's my movie, here's my brain. Yeah. Here's. And like here's... that just make it so much easier because like that's the vocation I'm trying to get into is like TV, movies, writing books, like you know that's what I want to do. But the hardest point is, is like it's my my craft of my hands don't quite match my brain and what I see. And I know I have my weaknesses. Like I can't write settings. Like I'm the worst at writing settings. I'm so bad at it. So like in my brain, I see like this glorious mountain and like the the, the castle and it's on a void and like the underground tunnels. Like I see it. But when I go to write it, I'm just like, there's a castle on a mountain. It has an underground blur. It's like dark. And I'm just. Mm. We need to have a two true freaks writers <laughs> community meeting sometime. That'd be fun. Because I think there's a lot of people who do writing on various levels who are either on two true freak shows or listeners, and I think it would be very it would be really useful to have a a group of of people. One of my dreams is also to have two true freaks be a publishing house. <laughs> yeah, actually, be- I mean. To be perfectly honest, like there's so much e-publishing now. Yeah. With e-publishing, you could probably go ahead and set it up. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's the thing is, it's it's a it's that as as something that you want to set up, it's very low cost to do, especially if you're doing it e e-publishing where you're either printing really small runs of the books or just you know mostly selling ebook versions of it. I mean, the hard part, that's easy. That would be the easy part. The hard part would be having, if I did it, I'd like to have like five or six really good books done, you know, done and ready to go to, to be, it, it would be having the, the content that would be the, the truly hard part. Cause you know, doing, doing podcasts and you're doing one that's mostly, you know, you, you by yourself, that's even harder to motivate when it's just yourself. When it's more than oh, one person, you got another yeah. person that you feel responsible to meet with and do stuff. And that's what makes writing so hard is writing is one of those things that you do as an individual 
for the most part i mean there's 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 obviously there's lots of writing that's done as a as a collaboration but that's mostly tv movies in different ways you know i mean south park's sort of written by committee it's written by a group of people sitting around a table shooting out ideas and then putting it together yeah, and uh, then you have like like with like cartoons and animation, you have storyboardists that come in too. Right, and they'll story right. they'll they'll storyboard out the shows. Right, but a novel that's that's you and a and you know, whether it's real or metaphorical, it's you and a piece of paper and and the story, and that's and that's it. You know, I I remember talking about that because like my senior capstone in undergrad was playwriting. And unlike all the other capstones, um, which were just, you know, cause there's two semesters in a year, all the other capstones were just one semester. Mine was a year-long, two-semester-long capstone. And the first half of the semester, I would write the play. And the second semester, I would get it ready and do revisions and drafts and stuff to do a play reading at the end of the year. And so I wrote a play in a year. I remember having a conversation with my teacher because I, I was watching the, because I was in a theater company, I was a theater major, and so I saw all the other actors like doing their capstones, and they were with other actors, and the set designers were going right. out with the teachers, and I just remember talking, having this very honest conversation, like, I am so lonely in my capstone. I'm the only person doing this capstone. I have no one I can talk to about it. Like I could talk to the people in the playwriting class, but they, a lot of them were just taking playwriting because it was part of their their semester and they had to do it. Right. But I was like, I'm like, I have no one at the moment to share my passion with. And I can't even really present my play until the end of the year. And I can tell people about my play, but they don't know anything about, like, all I have is you, Caleb. Caleb was my professor. I was like, Caleb, you're the only person who knows what I'm going through right now. Because I was like four months in and had like, I did all my own research. I did all my own everything. And it's... I don't think people realize how incredibly hard writing actually is. And I actually got in a little bit of a fandom fight uh, recently because someone was doing um, an art book for an actor for his birthday. And they always include fan art, like always include fan art. And they never include fan fiction. And I'm like, I don't think people realize how, and, and not, this is nothing against fan artists, because I know it takes a lot of fan artists, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, to finish pay, uh, pieces. And if you're actually hand-painting it, it can take months, so I understand that. But I don't think people realize how long it takes just to sit and stare at a computer for hours on end and be by yourself. And like, it's lone, like, writing is one of the loneliest professions I've ever encountered in my life. And I love it. I love writing, but it's incredibly hard and you can't share any of your work until it's done right the battle the battle is until it's done you hate everything you do you like you might can get people to read it and give you feedback and then you hate yourself because the feedback is right you're wrong and like it's it's really hard to be a writer Uh, a good i mean isn't it (laughs) great the the great thing is and this reminds me of in of like when i was in film school and uh and yeah i went to film school at uh, rit and uh, my script writing classes, I never did so much writing as I did in my script writing classes. And the main reason was I had to get grades. <laughs> I had to turn something in every week, you know, oh, good, man. good or bad. Yes. I had to turn something in. And after a while, you know, and my script writing teacher ended up being really, I mean, we ended up being in a band together. And uh, I've spent more time with him just outside of school than I ever did in school. But 
at the time, you know, I didn't want to hand in something bad or just tossed off. So, you know, th those two years I did so much writing because I was forced to, <laughs> you know, I had to get it done. When you I don't... call it the fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had fear the is fear. A, fear is a great motivator. Yeah, fear, fear of disappointing, you know, the professor and and failing the class <laughs> would keep me, you know, I would go home and I would start writing. When you're outside of that situation, it's hard to do. Now, like, I get, and that's the reason I get podcast. I can churn podcasts out because I've, and when I have to write something for a podcast, I write something. I get, uh, the podcast is the second, you know, most writing thing. It's gotten me writing more than almost anything but film school. But just little tidbits, you know, little pieces here and there, you know, synopsis or 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 a little um, promo or or skit or something like that. Nothing, nothing like a book or a screenplay or something like that. And it's almost like I don't know if I could write a screenplay unless someone hired me <laughs> to and I knew I had to do it or I wasn't going to get paid, you know. I never realized how much of a not self-motivator I was until I graduated out of college. Because <laughs> I'd get be like, oh man, I'm ready to write, and I'd just sit there. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I, if I'm in the mood to write, I can write like a beast. But if I'm just like not feeling it, I can't write. <laughs> it seems like, and it seems like when I read, like, um, recently I got a really good, um, I've been on a Stephen King kick, not reading a lot of Stephen King books but i keep finding the hard covers i just actually i did read a just read a stephen king book and really enjoyed it and then i read a book of interviews with him over the years from when he first started out to to about 2005 or something when the book came out and over and over again and i haven't read his book on writing yet but over and over again he was saying you know his secret is he, he it's like his job he sits down whether he's in the mood or not he sits down and he just start if he's or he's happy or, or whatever he just bites the bullet and does it every day and has just pounded it into his schedule and that's the hard i think that's the hardest thing that is the hardest the thing i completely 100 percent agree See, throw mama from the train what? no i haven't oh my god you gotta see throw mama from the train it's got a great line. Uh, um, it's um, oh, what the hell is his name? Um, from Saturday Night Live, from back in the '80s. You look marvelous, guy. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he he and Danny DeVito are the star, and he's a writing. He's an English teacher, teaching a uh, like a night class, adult night class on creative writing, and you know his his whole point is you know a writer writes. A writer writes. It's just so hard. Just I, I, I was, I, you know, my mentor, my mentor has published a few books, and he told me that ninety percent of writers fail because they don't actually write. They don't write anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like ten percent of uh, writers who actually make it is because they actually finish their first draft. Well, let me say the other ten percent make it because they at least finish their first draft. Like it's so hard to finish that first draft, and yeah. I mean, you, when you have something, say, like Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> becoming a bestseller and you look at the, the you know, the whatever stew it was that made that so appealing to a lot of people. I don't know, but I will I don't say think I didn't it was give, good I didn't, writing. 
it, it wasn't, wasn't good writing. It wasn't good writing that made that so popular. But there it is. I know. think it was because it was a like a modern take on an alternate lifestyle. Because yeah. I know a lot of my friends who are like into BDSM and all that were just saying this is a horribly abusive version right. of what we do. <laughs> right. It's 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 not quite. Yeah. It's kind of like a weird outsiders. Not that I'm an insider to BDSM, but I remember what, what, what did I read? I read like a book by I read the story of O and a Desaad book for an English class in 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 college. They were sort of the same thing as uh, I did not read all of Fifty Shades of Grey. I started reading it out of curiosity and I read about ten pages and I was like, you know what? I got it. <laughs> I got yeah. yeah. And I cannot read a whole book of this this writing. It's it's almost like a third grader who's never really actually had sex. Well, it's it's based off uh, her Twilight fan fiction. Right, right. And and that I will say it's totally worth it to find the video of Gilbert Goffrey yes. doing a live reading of the I've heard of that. Listeners go find stop pause me pause go to YouTube uh find Gilbert Goffrey reading Fifty Shades of Grey and then come back and listen to me. The most erotic thing you've ever heard. <laughs> you hear that? I'm I'm on a big book thing. Basically, I'm l- looking for books all the time now. I'm just really into compiling. I not that I ha- don't already have a huge amount of them, but I want more books. And I've been finding like trashy monster movie monster fiction books and stuff from the last few years and and i'll see them for a quarter and pick them up just to see what the level of you know pulp paperback writing is it's horrific yeah horrific and those are people who are actively writing and probably making a living off it so that's the thing is it is is there's probably and a lot of those ninety percent of the writers who never write a book are probably really good writers. <laughs> there's probably a lot of really good books that don't get written, but there's a lot of really crappy books that are out there because those guys actually sit down and get it done. Same with movies. Same with yeah. With anything, you know. I like my like I have some buddies from college and they do like little films on YouTube's and their stuff is actually pretty. If you like dark weird humor, their stuff is really good. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of dark weird humor, so I don't. It's their their group is uh, like half it. asleep. Yeah, you might like their stuff actually. Uh, it's half asleep. That's the name of their um, videos. I'll send you one. Um, but like, they're really talented guys, and they're I've I've acted with them. I've written plays for them. Like I've done stuff with them. And the thing is, is like there are so many worse people out there making professional movies, making millions yep. of dollars yep. and not my really super talented friends. Maybe, maybe someday you got to hope. hope so. But I don't know. I think it's also the, like the different kinds of writing too. Like, you know, I have my new blog now and I love it. And I have just this month, I've written three blogs and I'm on my fourth one right, right now. And it's it's almost like how I was saying earlier, like when I get the urge to write, it's so much easier than trying to force myself to write prose. And there's a difference between writing reviews and writing prose. Like it's a completely different mindset and a completely different beast. And I, I like having the freedom of my own blog because then I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can swear and make dumb jokes mm-hmm. if I want to because it's not anything. It's my professional blog, but at least it's me. Like I've tried writing for other websites before and they're like, this is a little bit too colloquial. And I was like, but... I don't want this, the review of the worst episode of Once Upon a Time to sound like a formal paper. 
Why, it wouldn't seem like they would either. I know. Think about sometimes the amount of like stuff, like talking on like Facebook or a blog or something like that, and thinking how many books I must have worth of text I must have written online. You know, not just like chatting with somebody, but like giving an opinion on something or you know talking about something, and and writing a little written paragraph or two. And I think about it, and it's like. That, books and books and books and if I'd just been while I was doing that writing a story maybe I'd have like 15 trilogies by now I completely agree um, I role play with a friend of mine on Skype and it's just really quick like her character will say like well we have a few going like a few different like five going on Skype so like we'll put one in Thought Bumble go down to the next line do another one and so on and so forth and we do it just about every night like we've been doing it since I was in college um, she's one of my best friends. We do it just about every night. And out of curiosity, I could go back 18 months yeah. in our Skype chat. And I copied and pasted 18 months and put in a Word document. It was like 900 pages. <laughs> <laughs> in 18 months, the two of us wrote 900 no. pages. <laughs> no, could you take that and, and, and pare that down to an hour and a half movie? Copyright reasons, no. <laughs> no, okay, all right. They're like they're like Avengers AUs. <laughs> right, but you just switch it. You can do pull Marvel, up Fifty Shades of Grey. No, I will say that's where my one of my my current main Once Upon a Time fan fiction originally sprung from this role play, and it's I've been developing the actual idea for it for like two years now, and like like working out like all the plots and the characters and stuff like that, and I finally get to the point where I'm actually sitting down and writing, and that's actually what I'm having the most trouble sitting and writing right now is because I want to work on the stuff that's like 50 chapters in, not on chapter three. Right. <laughs> so fucking hard to get through chapter three. <laughs> yeah, my my dream is I would love to do a whole get a bunch of writers together and do a whole sort of you know create a universe type of thing where you have all the writers sit down create the create the universe and the rules you know this is what's happening this is this is what goes on at the you know set ground rules get a whole bunch of characters and situations and then just set the auth- writers off in different directions you know this mm-hmm. guy's writing this guy's story this guy's writing this guy's story but everybody's sort of in cahoots so they can so they when they cross streams it fits together or, you know, maybe there's a group of people, everybody meets to work on a general cohesive storyline and then everybody goes and writes their parts and then it gets all mixed in into one book. I would love to do that. Do you know how impossible it would be to get like 10 authors together <laughs> it, it depends and get on it done? It depends on how you would do it. Um, because it sounds very similar to something I did with my friend Billy. Um, we used to have this very long-standing role play, and it was actually an original story. So I, and I've been trying for years to figure out how to turn it into a novel, and it's just it's so detailed and convoluted that Absolutely. I just lost it. Um, but the thing is, is like it's like an alternate version of like the daily lives of the apostles, like with Jesus, and like we had like this entire realm of angels and uh, as our own characters, and all these different takes on the hell and the sins and everything. But it was really deep and complex. But the thing is, is like I had my characters, she had her characters, and we would just go back and forth. And like she would write a paragraph with her characters, and like sometimes we pull other characters off to the side, or we would have different threads. 
we would have one email with a set of one stories, like another email with the past filling in the past stories, one in like a little bit in the future to fill in the future stories. Mm. And it was interesting because like we'd each have our own characters and they would weave in together. And when we were doing the past along with the present, we could see how they were building on each other. So if you kind of, you sort of actually describe like Dungeons and Dragons, but with all the rules. But you could do something like that. Like, the only thing is it'd be difficult to, if you place it in an order, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and try to do it like a role play, by the, by the time number 2 is trying to say something to number 10, there'll be a lot lost in between. So maybe not as many, like 10, but like just even 5 people would be a little bit more manageable. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. I always, I, I pictured it as sort of a thing where I wouldn't want it to be just like an anthology. Mm-hmm. or as a series of people's stories, but it would flow. You you would take somebody's storyline and you would take a paragraph of it or, you know, two paragraphs of it. And you would, I, I, I want it to sort of be an interweaving of stories. And, you and could. I'm jumping back. I, I I want it to be one of those books where the first 20 pages, you don't really know what's going on. There was a book I read called Echo that was a lot like that, but it was all by the same writer. You could maybe, like, assign people to right. writers. So, like, maybe, like, have, like, what, like, a chapter, and it's just those two writers going back and forth, and another, like, chapter, and it's, like, two or three more writers going back and forth. But, yeah. See, that's I... why we need the Two True Freaks publishing division. Because then if we get a publishing division, it's it would be just like podcasts. And that's the thing is that's basically that's all two true freaks is 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 a motivation is is the the people who are working with it, it's our motivation to keep podcasts coming out regularly, to keep doing it regularly. And yeah. And it's one of those things that makes it sound like it's a chore to do. But whenever I'm editing a podcast, I'm having a riot, you know? And whenever I'm writing anything it's the same thing whenever i'm writing anything i'm having a riot doing it a lot of the time i really enjoy it once i get it done and i'm looking at it and i'm like okay that's done but it's just getting to that point of starting to do it that's the hardest thing i editing's my least favorite part of podcasting i absolutely oh, yeah. hate editing but i think a lot of it just depends on who i'm with um i have some friends that i've had on my shows before and they like take really long pauses when they talk yeah, and then yeah, and then you're spending the whole time cutting out. You'll be cutting out a few of my ums, I'm sure. I don't know. It depends on how fast. And that's the other thing. It depends <laughs> on how fast I want to push out the show. Sometimes I'm just like, right. fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if I have a lot of time, um, then I, yeah. But I prefer shows like. I also really like the kind of like the all natural, just like talking, because I'm gonna put music under all of this. Right. So it will fill in a lot of those gaps as well. Um, because I say um a lot as myself, as I just said um, but I mean. I just said, I'm again. <laughs> it's one of the things you don't notice it until you do it. Um, oh, I can see everything that you just said right there as a little wave, little bumpy wavelengths <laughs> on the screen. Yeah. Separated by the pauses. Uh, I was I thinking mean, a podcaster, this would be a great podcaster t-shirt, is just, it would be the audio wavelength, then a blank spot, and then an, and then an um. Then just that <gasps> little blurb where you see an um, then that other spot, and then where it, it continues off with the train of thought. I always see those. Somebody will be talking, and they'll go, um, and then they'll continue on. And I can see what I just did 
on my editing board, and I think it should just be that wave with the little um on it, and then maybe the word um <laughs> underneath it. And I think every podcaster that ed- edits their own podcast would get that T-shirt, and everybody else in the world would wonder what the hell you were talking about. You should definitely make it like on Redbubble or something. Maybe maybe put a you know on the uh, you know is another one I say a lot, so I see a lot of I I can tell a you know and an um on anywhere I'm talking in in podcast editing. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'll be listening to a podcast and I'll be ahead of myself cutting up, cutting all my ums and you knows out before the the band gets to it. And I know that I'm not cutting out anything important. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm starving. So I'm going to go eat food. <laughs> yeah. that I was wondering about this podcast because this is a ram, this could ramble on for five or six hours if you just allow it to. So you're going to just have to find some point to. I know. I, we covered, we went from cats to podcasts to social media, TV, movies, Lord of the Rings, A Recall Time, robotics, androids, and AIs, and writing as a writer in podcast ums. <laughs> Not bad, not bad. That's my notes. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess you, you it's these these kinds of podcasts are usually always like the, the ending is always determined by some sort of bodily function, whether it being having to go to the bathroom, eat, or go to sleep. <laughs> yes, and I am so very much hungry this time. Yeah, I'm pretty hungry too. But I just thank you so much, Chris, for coming on my show. I really appreciate it. I. I really like doing these shoot the shits episodes. I'd rather not wait another two years before doing another one with you. No, because when we were talking about this, we were like, ah, we could talk about all the movies from 2014 and what we're looking forward to in 2015. And we didn't even really have to touch on that too much. I know. And I was going to like pitch modern comics to you because I know that you're more into like the older comics, but I'm into the current comics and I was going to pitch some to you. Yeah. Well, there we go. Well, we'll have to do, we'll have to do that uh, like very soon. Then. I will say to pitch one to you, Saga. It's by Image Comics. It's the best comic that's came out in the last five years. What was one? Did were, were, was it you that? What was it called? Sex Criminals. Yes, Sex Criminals is also incredibly good. I I read the first four issues of that and I really enjoyed it. The first trade is out. I think the second trade is out. Oh my goodness! I think it's out this week. It's this. It's 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 just about to come out. It's in the next couple weeks. I, uh, I, I, I won't talk about it, but I, I, yeah, I could, I could say a lot about that because there's story elements in that that link into some of my favorite conspiracy theories. So mm-hmm. I think the writer's reading the same conspiracy theories as me, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that one. And then if you, do you like Star Wars, Chris? I, 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 I'm familiar with it. Do you like Star Trek? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's with like... Dr. Spock, right? Yeah. I like and you that like... one. And you like, uh, do you like space operas? As long as there's not too much singing. There's no singing. Like, oh, good. I get, like, a, oh, like yeah. a writing opera. Or do you like romances? Maybe. Do you like nudity? Yes. Do you like, <laughs> do you like, uh, guys with robot heads that show yes. their emotions as TVs? I, almost as much as nudity. Do you like Game of Thrones? Yes. Do you like ghosts that can also be child care nannies? Yes. So that's pretty. I just. I do, oh, Are do you there like dogs Donnie? that talk? What about dogs that talk? There's a cat that talks. Ooh. Yeah, her name is Lying Cat. She can tell when people are lying, and she goes lying. Mm. I just I described want, want. Saga. Saga, it's called. Yes, yeah, Saga by uh, Brian Vaughn and Fiona Staple. 
Okay, so it's basically... I was hoping it was going to be like all that and more in Saga. Excellent. Yeah. The only thing I left out was the bounty hunters. So. I like bounty hunters too. Yeah, I Not highly suggest it. dog bounty hunters, but Boba Fett bounty hunters. Well, one's a spider. Like She's like, you know how a centaur is like half horse, half man? Yeah. There's a spider centaur, uh, spider bounty hunter, and so she's spider bodied but body of a lady, and she okay. never wears a top, so her tits are out. She's a booby spider. That's mixed messages, but okay, that's good. <laughs> she's really cool. I like this doc a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, and the first trade is only nine ninety nine. All right, I'm writing that down. So yeah, Saga. It's Image Comics. Fiona Staples oh, and. It's Image. Yeah, dude, Image is so good. I've I've been going through a bunch of Image comics. I've yet to find one that I was like, this is fucking awful. Image comics is where it's at right now. Yeah. I have I, I think it has a lot of my favorites. Though I will say, IDW this last week, last Wednesday, put out a Galaxy Quest comic, and it's a sequel to the movie. Really? It's a number one. It's gonna be, I think, a five issue run. Oh man, I'm g- it oh is so. Good. I'm oh my. a big fan of the IDW Star Trek stuff, especially the IDW is doing Star Trek Fumetis now that are like comic book but photo. Is form. it the one that uh, Tony Chastain writes? It's uh, it's all John Byrne. Okay, I was gonna say I know Tony Chastain. He lives like 20 minutes from my store, so yeah. he comes out all the time. Yeah, no, John Byrne writes them, and then he takes old Star Trek episodes and you know photoshop jiggles them around to tell new story you know make up completely new star trek stories but built in that time period of the original series and it's in comic book form they're great they're expensive they're like eight dollars when they they're like 7.99 when they come out but they're beautiful to look at and i cannot imagine how much how much time on photoshop he spent doing those i need to seriously sit down and watch star trek like very seriously well, we have we have if if you about if you start listening to <laughs> shameless plug listening to Star Trek Monthly Mondays by the time you probably get caught up we'll probably have finished all the original Star Trek episodes. Because the thing is, like my mother was a well, still is a new generation fan. Next generation, yeah. Next generation. See, <laughs> I don't know shit about Star Trek. So I caught a lot of Next Generation stuff from my mom, and I've seen some of the movies, but it's nothing like I've actually ever seriously sat down and watched, and there's just so much of it. And then you have, like, the original yeah. stuff, too, and I just don't know real, where, really where to start, because, yeah. Well, the good thing about the original season, it's, it's only three seasons, or the original series, is it's only three seasons. Next Generation, if you're going to, and I hate to say this because I'm an old-school Star Trek guy, but if you were only going to do one Star Trek, I would pick Next Generation because there's seven seasons of it and it's it's quality. In many ways, it's better than the original, you know, it's in many ways it's better than the original because it built upon it and it knew what made the original successful and it stuck to that and built upon it and expanded on it. And it was able to do a lot of things in Next Generation that the original series wouldn't have been able to do, topics that they wouldn't have been able to tackle and stuff. And the way that, and you know, the characterizations and stuff, it's pure, it's pure Star Trek and it's pure science fiction. The the older stuff, the older stuff is wild and woolly and fun though. You know, it's it's colorful and it's got Shatner and Nimoy. It's got you know, it's got great writing and acting. 
but it was sort of the trailblazer. So it wasn't sure exactly what it was doing. It was doing whatever it had to do to survive, too. And Next Generation is sort of like Star Trek comes into its own. That would be my advice. Well, if it's only three seasons, I might tackle Star Trek. I'll have to see. I, I've been trying to like think of the best way to do this, so that's actually really helpful. Thank you. But no, I'm serious. It just came out last week. Go get Galaxy Quest: The Journey Continues, number one. Um, it's gonna be a five issue run, and I absolutely love the first I, one. I'm I'm actually as soon as we're done, I'm gonna go and I am Gardner and tell him about that because he will be very excited about that. Oh man, that is my favorite movie of all time. Well, that movie is that is Star Trek in a nutshell. <laughs> That movie, the the philosophy of that that movie is one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. <laughs> it, it is the philosophy of Star. It's manifest of, you know, a manifestation of the philosophy of of Star Trek, and and it's also a commentary on the Stock importance that well the importance of fandom of of how of the relationship of fans in Star Trek is at the same time without it being. It, it covers it warts and all, it, but it do, it's not shaming the fans and and looking down its nose at them at all. It's it's it really explains not only what Star Trek was, but what it means to people at the same time by using the aliens as as the as the fanboys. It's a brilliant, brilliant, wonderful movie. Chris, at some point, we're going to have to do a Galaxy Quest uh, podcast. All right, you know, you know, you know, there is Scott and I did do it, Galaxy. I don't what? know if we did it. Yeah, Fuck I don't you know. Guys. I it's don't know if we did it as a podcast or if we did it as a commentary, but we did do a Galaxy Quest at one time. No, that's my favorite yeah. movie of all time. I'm, I have. There's no, nowhere in my contract that says that there can't be another Galaxy Quest podcast. It'll be on podcast. my show. It'll be yeah. On my show. Well, my tell show. you what, if if. If we didn't do a commentary, we should do a commentary show on. And if we did a commentary, we should just do a plain old talking about Galaxy Quest show. Because I could do that. You know, you know what we should do? We should do that. We should do a combination Galaxy Quest. And whenever, you know, it should, it'll be about five months when all the IDW comics come out. We'll read those and we can do Galaxy Quest and, and the sequel to it. That's not a bad idea. I've never actually oh, done you. a commentary on my show, but maybe... Ooh. Oh, my. <laughs> Galaxy Quest, five months from now. <laughs> I'm making a... It's going <laughs> in my podcast notebook. Excellent. From now. Yes. Good. After. I, I, yeah. I, I'll try to remember, too, but don't let me forget. Okay. I got it. I, actually, I have Galaxy Quest written down because I'm, I may be going... I may have to go to the comic shop tomorrow. Oh, man, yeah. It was It was very good. Though I will say, I think the next trade of Sex Crime... Actually, pick up Saga tomorrow, too. Pick up those two. They're both written on my napkin, right? Oh, I will fucking send you money to buy Saga. Yeah, that will not be necessary, I'll... <laughs> the When it comes to Saga, all, all four trade paperbacks have been on the New York Times bestseller list, and number three came out, like, a year ago, and it's still on the list. It's sort of... Between that and Walking Dead, I've been seeing a lot of articles about how Image is sort of is sort of knocking it out of the park while DC and Marvel don't seem to know what they want to do. Well, Marvel's about to fucking reboot their thingy again. Sure, why not? 
And you know, they're about to, they're rebooting their year universe later. They're pretty much new 52-ing it, but not quite. But I was, when I was reading, like, the top, um, I think the top, sorry, I'm trying to type in, do this at the same time. The top, uh, 10 comics, or trade paperbacks of 2014. The top, uh, 10 trade paperbacks of 2014, four of them were Saga. Oh, okay. Yeah. Probably, probably a bunch were, the other ones were Walking Dead, probably. Yeah, they had a list on previews. I'm trying to find it. Top on on uh, I clicked into my works diamond account. See, Don't I, tell I, anybody. <laughs> I, Marvel and DC are bringing their bringing their heroes to life, but those are people with a 50 year, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 year history. IDW brought The Walking Dead into the public, you know, everybody that I work with at my job who watches TV, watches The Walking Dead, you know, none of them really read comic books or anything like that. And that's quite an accomplishment for IDW, is have it bringing something new into the mainstream media. There are a few that I really like coming out of uh, DC and Marvel right now. Um, I They actually just started this cute little one called Gotham Academy for DC, and I've really been enjoying it. It's about three... It's about three issues in, and the fourth one is coming out. Um, actually, I think it comes out this week. Um, I've been really enjoying it. It's like high school drama and Batman. Okay. This is a comic. Yeah, it's called Gotham Academy, and it's about a girl named Olive. And over the summer, something happened to her. You, They haven't said what, but somehow Batman got involved, and he knows exactly who she is. And she's having these like horrible hallucination flashbacks of seeing Batman, and she's terrified of him and then there's also the long lost daughter of the penguin and she has something um they like olive has found her journal and somehow she like this long lost daughter of the penguin that's not alive anymore she has a connection to olive somehow it's like a um it's high school drama yeah it's like a wb (laughs) drama yeah but i've been really enjoying it and then i would say out of the i'm more of a marvel girl so hawkeye has been fantastic miss marvel has been amazing I've I've been enjoying Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier, but I also just love Bucky Barnes. Right, right. So, <laughs> so that's just me. I, I will read any and everything with Bucky Barnes. Um, but also Alice Cott is a fantastic writer. The Spider-Verse has been okay. They've been doing this like Edges Spider-Verse where it's every Spider-Man ever in one book. And it's okay. It's just you have to... It's a lot because it's ever it's like twenty Spider Mans in one issue. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just picked up my first Marvel comic since I, a few years ago. I picked up a couple Ghost Riders because it was the original um, artist from Walking Dead did them, and they looked beautiful. I was just like, "Ooh, I got to get these!" But I got mm-hmm. the Marvel Star Wars number one. Ooh, so that's the number like, one was fantastic. I liked it, but I cannot say any more because there's a hot and heavy two true freaks episode of growing up star wars that i recorded with scott gardner and scott rifan i hope people it, i yeah i it, it's it's opinionated but i think we did a really like instead of because i think all three of us could have just come and said you know i liked it or i didn't like it and and left it at that or 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 something but we i i think we really tore it up like not tore it up but we we analyzed it writing wise and character wise maybe more like uh uh an english professor <laughs> correcting a paper 
You know. Oh, gotcha. We, we there uh, nitpicks and, and important things, but we really we re- really went into it into like critic mode. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting episode to see what people think. And I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like it's you know I may, maybe I'm making it sound more dramatic than it is. But we I what I'm trying to say it's like we really went in depth with it. We didn't just go like hey you know here's a synopsis of the comic. What'd you think? Oh, I thought the art was good and I thought the story was good. We like pretty much break it down panel by panel because all three of us have been out of our minds with waiting for mar you know a new marvel star wars we couldn't believe that it's here already you know mm-hmm. scott and i devoted four years of our life to star wars monthly monday covering all the old star wars comics i think this what this one is growing up star wars number five so within five months of us finishing coverage of them now we have a new batch of marvel star wars coming out so <laughs> i don't know what we're gonna do and you you have three batches yeah, there's a there's a Darth Vader and a Princess Leia one, and I'll bet you there'll be other ones too. Mm-hmm. The because uh, Darth Vader is out this month and Leia's out in March. I'm okay. Th- I'm thinking Are once you... the movie comes out, there'll be a bunch of them because then they'll have a lot of story to play with. Yes, you gotta go eat. Oh no, I wanted to read this. So I oh. found the top ten best-selling graphic novels and trade paperbacks of 2014. Are you ready? Okay, this should be interesting. It is interesting. Only one title on here is not Image Comics. Ooh, wow. Wow. So number one was Saga Volume 3. Number two is Saga Volume 1. Number three is Walking Dead Volume 20. Uh, number four is uh, Saga Volume 2. Number five is Walking Dead Volume 1. Uh, number six is the newest, Walking Dead Volume 21. Seven was Sex Criminals. All right, take that back. Number eight is the newest, Walking Dead Volume 22. Number nine was Batman Court of Owls, which is the new 52 Batman. And then number 10, I just have to throw this out, is Saga Volume 4. Volume 4 came out in December. Oh, wow. And it hit the top 10 best-selling trades of 2014. Wow. Image! Not bad. (laughs) Yeah, not bad at all. So, minus Sex Criminals and Batman, it's all Walking Dead and Saga. Wow. That's really amazing. So, Chris, go read Saga. It's fantastic. And actually... The volume four is all cut up, caught up to the current issue. You could actually start picking up single issues as uh when it starts back. That's you see, that's why I, I always get that. That's the thing. I I need to just start picking up Image Comics just in general and whenever they have a number one and checking it out because it it seems like there's a pretty high chance of striking gold. Because that's you I love like finding Anderson? something that's great, like the like Saga sounds like it is, and then have I I love getting the trades and being able to go boom and catch up with it. But I also love discovering it and then having them just month by month and the anticipation and I love that. Well, that's what I'm doing right now. With like Volume Four ended on a cliffhanger, and Volume Four came out in December, and it's not coming out until i think the second week of february so i've waited a fucking month and a half to find out what happened <laughs> i'm walk- so excited the walking dead is getting is starting to like turn up the flame too month by month They're, they've had a couple good cliffhangers the last couple months so sounds like the golden age of image comics i know i want to catch up on fables too which is vertigo i have i you see there's just no complaints you got 
Marvel and DC are both maybe their comics are are not in the greatest shape, but they're putting out lots of movies and and TV shows that are for the most part in total very high quality. And then you got Image just mopping up the comic book market. So so that means there's still a comic book market if you're doing. Though I like there are some good ones out there though. Like I would suggest for Marvel, Miss Marvel. Uh-huh. It's completely different from anything Marvel is putting out. And it's all because of Kamala is Pakistani-American. And she wants to be a normal teenager and eat cheeseburgers and be cool and hang out with her friends. But, of course, her parents are like, no, wear this headscarf. And she's like, no. Um, and then she gets superpowers. So she has to balance, like, her really conservative religious family while trying to be normal while having these superpowers that are, like, going out of whack all the time. Like, Miss Marvel is really fun. I really enjoyed that one. And out of DC, I've really been enjoying Gotham Academy, but also Gotham at Midnight. That is a fun one. It's like Gotham and Supernatural had a, te- had like a baby, and it was a TV. It was this comic. I was going to say, it sounds like a horror anthology. It really is. It's really fun. And the artwork is beautiful. Uh, Gotham at Midnight is really fun. It's about this, like, this police guy, and he's like, I have to go check out why this, like, one section of Gotham police aren't following their paperwork. And they insure, they uh, investigate, like, the supernatural. And so you have, like, your guy with powers who's fighting the bad guys. You have your nun. There's a nun there, and she's doing her thing. And you have, like, the scientist guy trying to find out the science behind supernatural stuff. And, like, it's, like, it was really mishmash team. Like, there's one girl, she's like, I don't want to print all the fucking donuts. <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, Gotham by Midnight's been really fun, too. So there's some... And, uh, Arkham Manor? Arkham Manor, Bruce Bane loses his superpower. He's poor. It sounds like the, uh... Did I say Bruce Banner? I meant Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne? (laughs) Yeah, Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne loses his superpower. He's poor. And so he has to loan out his manor to be the new Arkham Asylum. Because Arkham Asylum is about to go bankrupt and they're about to release all the prisoners. He's just like, stick them in my house. (laughs) Oh, jeez. And so he's like, I've always wanted to lock them up. But then people start dying in his house. And he's like, there's a murderer in my house. And Gordon's like, of course there's a fucking murderer in your house. You jailed all the crazy people in your fucking house, Bruce. He's like, I know, but I'm poor. (laughs) Wow, that's a crazy storyline. Yeah, so Arkham Manor... Gotham at Midnight and Gotham Academy would be three titles from DC I would read. Miss Marvel, I still enjoy Hawkeye. I'm sad Fractions Run's about to end. It's been really super good. I'm going to miss Fraction doing that. And I enjoy Alice Cott's uh, Secret Avengers. That's been a fun one, too. And don't forget Marvel Star Wars. Marvel Star Wars. Okay, I'm seriously going to go eat food. I'm starving. Okay, yeah, me too. My stomach actually growled when you said the word food. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And thank you guys for uh, listening to Hope of All Trades. Uh, where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. And there you will find the 30 or 40 podcasts <laughs> Hope and I were discussing earlier. Spread all, all topics. And if you don't have a specific topic, you can always go to Hope because Hope is Hope of All Trades. So you'll get everything here. Thank you. Anything and everything. You can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. That's my new blog. And also at Twitter at Hope Molinax. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you again, Chris. This is awesome. Let's not wait two years to do this. No. And at least at the at the very latest five months from now with Galaxy Quest. 
Sounds great. Well, have a great night, guys. Thank you. Bye. Night.